Hey, Willow. Hey, Gene. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Bookstabber. And today's a very special episode, Willow. Why? Because today we are doing a double feature. I wish it were a science fiction double feature, but only one of the books is science fiction, and that is the first book we're going to talk about, Consider Phlebas by Ian M. Banks. Which is, uh, I have to say, my favorite space opera of all time. Uh, I, I at, don't know why. I don't so, know why. <laughs> you'll be happy to know uh, Amazon has canceled their scheduled adaptation of it that was in production a couple year, years ago. Uh, uh, I can't even imagine what a live action rendition of this would be. That's Well, I have to say I can't either. I'm so I'm so glad it's not happening right now. I would have watched it, of course, but uh, or at least tried to, but I, I'm very relieved. Like One of the reasons this book is so special to me, did I tell you how I found this book? No. So I went to um, Nepal with my friend Josh in 1998, I think. I've been there twice. I went, I went for the first time in 1998. Uh, trip he'd always wanted to take. Um, I kind of tagged along because I was uh, teaching English in Korea at a university at that point. And I had a lot of vacation in the summer, and I just, I just went with him. And uh, the thing about Kathmandu that I didn't expect, I had, I had no expectations, which was kind of good. I really enjoyed myself, and I was just surprised by everything but the best used bookstores I've ever seen anywhere in the entire world. <laughs> it, was, it was astonishing. Well, and, and because it, I think it's because people bring everything there and they don't take it home. So there are just these giant used bookstores. And okay, sure. It was, it, it was astonishing. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of used um, trekking equipment stores as well, but, but the used bookstores were just amazing. And so uh, that's where I think I bought um, Consider Phlebas on that trip. And then I went back a year and a half later and I took a suitcase of used books and I traded it. And I went home with a suitcase of used books. <laughs> I, I think I'm the only guy who's gone to Nepal to go book shopping. Well, probably not. There's probably other maniacs like me. But I ended up getting all of the E&M Banks culture novels to that point uh, on that trip. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't uniformly love them. I want you to know. Now but... I'm just trying to picture what strange soul went to Nepal with all of these E&M Banks books. Those E and M Banks books were everywhere. They, they were so, they were so ubiquitous in the bookstores that I ended up picking them up and figuring out which one was first and and just reading it because I was like, well, if everybody's been bringing these here, this must be a fantastic book. And it was. I was uh, delighted. Well, that's what we're here to talk about today. So, <laughs> so, so I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to give a book talk for this. There is there is not a very straightforward book talk. I mean, I, I think at its most most straightforward, this is a, it's a rescue. Uh, in the context of this huge interstellar, if not intergalactic war between two civilizations. One is called The Culture, which, which uh, these are the culture novels. This is the first culture novel. And the other, the other civilization is called the Ediran civilization. And the Ediran's, you don't really see them very much in the rest of the, the culture books. They're tripods, they're enormous, they're immortal, they're very religious, uh, they have a really high tech level. The culture kind of has a Similar tech level. The culture is full of uh, what I think we would think of as humanoids. Uh, it's a post-scarcity society run by basically these AIs called minds. Um, these AIs exist like outside of three-dimensional space. They exist partially in hyperspace. Uh, they run giant ships with ridiculous names. Uh, they basically run the culture. And and uh, the culture doesn't really do much. Most of the people in the culture, which you don't see very much in this novel, are just kind of stoned, doing what they want. Uh, they have glands that can make drugs. They, they hang out. They party. Um, 
but there is a part of the culture called contact, which is kind of their diplomatic military arm. And then within contact, there's this group called special circumstances. And special circumstances is kind of like the spies, like the agents for the culture that go out. And we see in this book, the only person from the culture per se, who's a character is uh, an agent from special circumstances. But the important character in this is, uh, say, say his name, Willow. Uh, sorry, hold on. <clears throat> <laughs> I have to prepare my vocal cords for this mouthful. Uh, Borahorza Gabochol. Thank you, Willow. Uh, he is a shape changer. Um, he's working for the Adirans. He's against the culture. He's against everything the culture stands for. He thinks the culture is anti-humanity because because the culture is run by these minds, and he wants to be on the side of life, basically. He he he, and so he's fighting the culture. Uh, and there aren't very many shape changers in the galaxy. Uh, and the shape changers mostly live on a small asteroid, but they also are caretakers. Some of them um, on this world called Scar's World, which is, it's a world of the dead. It's kind of a, a monument to a forgotten civilization that wiped itself out. And it's, it's, like a, it's like a museum piece just held in stasis by this um, godlike energy being who enforces what they call a zone of quiet around the planet. And, and there, there are a few caretakers there. The caretakers are the shape changers. Um, and after a giant space battle, which is pretty cool, which opens the book, uh, a culture mind that survived that space battle with the Adiran spaceships that were that were trying to kill it uh, took refuge there, like inside the planet. And they, like the Adirans, want uh, Bora Horza Gobachol to to go there, find the mind, and bring it out to them. Um, and so they are they are taking him there back to Scar's world. Uh, he's ready to get out of the war. Um, he really wants to go back to that that world because there's a woman who he loved who's there who he left to go make war against the culture um, but on the way there his ship is attacked he's forced to eject into space and and he is picked up by this crew of pirates basically and he is forced to join their crew he's forced to take part in their misadventures the captain is this flawed horrific guy uh, they kind of do a few very idiotic raids He's biding his time to impersonate the captain, and it's all about him trying to get back to Scar's world to try to try to take take this um, this mind to grab it on behalf of the Adirans. And there's kind of a nice love affair in there somewhere as well. Don't uh, don't, e- don't even don't even. It's not nice. There's nothing nice. I liked about it. it. I liked it. I liked it. I don't know. It works for me. You know. So so. Ugh. So, so, so that's the book. I, 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 if I was pitching this, I would say nuclear-powered trains, antimatter annihilation. There's an orbital, this big ring in space that has like just millions of square kilometers of space on it, and is is populated by cruise ships. It's really a spectacular, hugely dangerous fights. There's some cannibalism, and the love story, the 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 love story on this on this uh, quiet quiet world that uh, this energy being is is keeping preserved. That's my pitch, Willow. <laughs> and if I heard that. <laughs> I, I don't know if I would know it would be my favorite book, my favorite my favorite okay. space opera, but 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 well, but it is it is something I've read over and over again. Okay, okay. Let us dig deep. No, I I, I want to go back. You tried to read it. You tried to read it, yes, and I think you, I you texted. You, and what was what did we, you text me? We, you were like, we almost we almost did not do this book on this podcast because it, it it took me three attempts to read this book. I I could not get past like thirty pages the first two times. Because it is just such a dense, <laughs> it, it is a brick. The book is a brick. I could kill. Oh, it is a brick. It is a brick. I could kill a guinea pig with this book. But you were uh, mad. At, you were you were mad at the at the uh, the titles or the the names of the ships. I remember. 
I don't even remember the names of. Oh, I think you you were like, what is up with the names of the spaceships in this? And it, it is it is famous for the famously weird spaceships, but there are almost none in this book. And you were. Well, no, I was mad at the name Bora Horza Gobachul and <laughs> Zora Lundra. Th- these are bad names. These are not like I get it. They're aliens. That's one thing. But like, <laughs> well, okay. So this is. This gets to what I think is a core issue with this book. In fact, maybe is the uniting theme between the two books that we're talking about today is uh, is mislabeling of genre. Because Oh, tell me about this. Okay. Well, okay. So you say this is a space opera, and I don't disagree with that. However, this book does not present itself as space opera, in my opinion. For Like, you pick up this book, and regardless of what people say, books are meant to be judged by their cover Publishers spend a lot of money making sure the cover is something that you can judge a book by. There's an art to it, people. The title of this book is Consider Phlebas. Within the first page, it tells you, like, this is a reference to T.S. Eliot. You don't... If Star Wars was called, you know, The Wasteland, we would look at it very differently. We would be very confused as to why it was called that. (laughs) Right? If it was called the uh, the love song of Proof Rock or whatever that other poem is, uh, we would all be very confused about this movie. <clears throat> I, I've never understood the the cover of this. I mean, it, it's just kind of like space, right? The final frontier, but but it's fine. Well, I'm fine. I'm fine with the space imagery, but the book is in the first chapter is trying to sell itself as kind of this space Tom Clancy novel uh, with all of this scientific detail and thought put into why things are the way they are but then you get past that and you realize that everything in this book is nonsense like the 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 point where i noticed it is pretty early on in the novel our our main character uh is essentially recreating the scene from uh return of the jedi where the ewoks are gonna eat him (laughs) like (laughs) it's it's nonsense It is absolute nonsense that like I I, I, I think I think that scene is way more scatological than the Ewok scene. Yeah, which I is not, which is not a good defense of it. No, but there's I don't know what to say exactly except like <laughs> I feel like everything. No, so the the subject matter of this book, the content of this book rather, mm-hmm. really feels like just a couple of scenes directly out of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I understand that it's very hard to be original especially when you're doing science fiction. Oh, oof. But those scenes are, they don't make any more sense in the context of this story. They just have a lot of words thrown on top of it as to make it sound, like it's it's as if, uh, it's, it's like the original cut of the original 1977 Star Wars uh, where they, they spend much longer explaining things using science fiction gibberish instead of just editing and going on to the next scene. This this book lingers on every little thing and none of it none of it makes sense to me. Like the you know, we have this poker game where everyone can is infused with other people's emotions and mind reading and then people die because those are the chips you're playing with. It doesn't like nothing about that actually makes sense. Oh, the the poker game is, is just yeah, it, it's uh it's a farce as far as i can tell it's it's idiotic right yes i agree well and there's a there's a part that i so i had to listen to this as an audiobook i have the physical book in front of me but i i just can't read it because it's just painful <laughs> this is this was harder to read than the stupid um the blade itself which i'll stop referencing uh, now but this is i i want I, I, I want you to know i started it again and i i couldn't put it down i could not put this book down 
I put I, it down I, twice before I <laughs> before I was like, fine, I'm gonna do it with audiobook, and that way I can just let it flow over me. Well, I think um, I, I think I, I think it opens with that big space battle, and you're expecting something very very different, and then it becomes very focused on this one guy and his misadventure, trying to trying to do this thing, which which doesn't seem to have any consequence at all. Right. There's kind of an afterword that, that shows there is no consequence, really, like, like like all this all this suffering and, and madness and whatever. And there isn't there isn't a lot of of consequence, which, which I like. It, it turns some of the space opera stuff on its head in doing that. But you don't like that. So I like to approach any piece of media with the premise of like, what is this thing and what is it trying to do? So this is a space opera. I'm willing to accept that because much of its content is analogous with space operas that I'm familiar with. That being said, I don't think it accomplishes the things that we want space operas to do. If you are engaging in a in a Flash Gordon in a Star Wars piece of media, you're looking you're looking to have fun, right? I, I, you're looking for adventure, swashbuckling. You're looking for probably a little bit of romance, and you know you're, I, you're, I, you you want to feel. I, 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 I would. I, you're looking to be amused at least, but but I but I think for me, like like in the context of space opera, this book surprises me enough. And it just, it's just ridiculous enough. It's just on enough at the same time to fulfill like, like, like everything I want out, out of a book. I don't Do you know, what, know I mean? what you want out of, I feel like if I just said, you know, the, the, the 200 monkeys on typewriters, <laughs> you know, in a million years you get to Hamlet, but I feel like you would accept the first draft that is just pure gibberish. And you're like, these are characters on a page. I'm pleased now. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I want, but it's kind of that annoying, like I know it when I see it kind of thing. And and, and I, but I just, I just think, I just think this surprised me, and it surprised me maybe at the right moment. And and you can argue that a lot of books are about when you read them and how you how you discover them, and um, maybe the amount of time you have to to spend with a book. And maybe maybe I, I mean I would accept in a certain sense that like I look past this book's flaws in a way I, I do recognize there are there are things about it that are imperfect but but it seems like at best and this is something that's always important to me that, that that like the guy who wrote it was having a good time he was just amusing himself and 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 like like to me it's like do you want to be amused too like does this amuse you then then read it and if you don't if you don't feel like this is amusing please please stop right. reading the book do you know well like, like, which like, i did I, that, what you did I would I would not have read this book if we weren't doing a podcast about trying to review books. Well, um, I almost thought I almost thought it was funnier. It was it was going to be easier to talk about when you had read like um, thirty pages or fifty pages or whatever it was, <laughs> where you had stopped and thrown it across the room. <laughs> I did, but I no because I knew we were going to talk about it, and so I had to I had to finish. I had to make that commitment. Oh, um, right. and you know, luckily I had some a lot of driving to do this week, so. This this audiobook was like sixteen hours long. Oh, I I, and, I, I, can't, uh, I can't I can't I can't believe I can't believe you gave a book you didn't enjoy that much time. Like like I, I salute you. Like like that that's a, that's an amazing commitment. But th- that's why I only review books that I really like because I can't bring myself to read books that I'm not really enjoying. Well, so one major thing I want to touch on is is this book about something? Does it have a thesis statement? It seems to me the the author is really obsessed in specifically through this book and these characters with ideas about religion, about is there is there a god? Should we should we have religion? Is religion good for us? But oh, I don't I don't, I don't think that's in here hardly at all. But um, no, but he talks about it all the time. He really does. Well, I think it's only because the Adirans are 
on the opposite side of the culture. And what's very strange is the other books are all about the culture, right? This kind of... I Well, I don't want to talk about the other books. This is the same thing with... Um... Uh, the blade itself is I don't if I don't care. This is the first in the series. The series mm-hmm. doesn't matter. I only read this one. We don't get sure, to talk sure, about the other sure. ones. But but but, 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 I, but I'm just I'm just I just think it's interesting to start a a, a book that's the first in a series about this this uh, civilization, this high tech civilization, which the author is clearly fascinated with by focusing on a character that is opposed to that civilization. Right? Clearly clearly just hates it hates everything it stands for and, and that's kind of how we first experience it that, that that's one of the reasons i think this book is so interesting i mean maybe but within its own context not knowing that the other books are about that civilization mm-hmm. uh it, it, you know I, I don't think this book if if you're if you're a real obsessed if you, if you are a big lover of world building i don't think this book is for you i think that which i don't think anyone should be but that's whatever some people are into it I don't think the world that gets built here is has any, like if if you love world building then go watch Star Trek like Star Trek has more for you. But but I I think there is kind of a marvelous setting in this book and the setting isn't overly explained and you know it's 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 kind of it's kind of one character's experience so you don't get those those giant you don't get very much of that giant explaininess you get in so much science fiction it, it's there but it's not i disagree you get a lot of explaininess but it's poorly hmm. used it's it's misappropriated explaininess <laughs> it really <laughs> is what... no our main character in fact this is one of the problems in a way is that our the narrator will do some explaininess and then horza and the gang will sit around and continue talking about it for a while the the stuff on the the you call it scars world which uh the audiobook pronounces as shars world um when they're there it's almost entirely just like is this train gonna explode no i don't think this train is gonna explode and then they spend an hour talking about why or why not the train will explode and i'm just sitting here like god i hope this train explodes <laughs> I, I, I i will say i will say the end of the book uh what is it probably the last quarter of the book which is on on that world like like is my least favorite part of the book i think but, the only thing that i found actually interesting about this book is the fact that our protagonist is uh is a, a shape-shifting pseudo human and there's some interesting stuff in there about and and we only learn at the very end that like oh apparently uh they are the products of genetic manipulation as basically to be super spies which is what our main character is he's he's a super spy um which makes sense and they have all these cool abilities like uh they hide poison under their fingernails that is like instantly lethal and they can spit acid into people's eyes and they can sweat acid like they're basically xenomorphs but humanoid and and there's some interesting stuff with that but we don't learn like if you had to describe Borahorza, could you actually describe anything about it? Like he doesn't like the culture, but I don't. I can't name anything that he does like. I can't name like I, he doesn't have any interesting character characteristics. Is he an angry man? Is he? I, I I don't I don't think he's an exceedingly deep person. I I think he's 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 a little bit one note as a character. But but I think uh, the book doesn't depend on him as a character. Uh, necessarily i mean i mean that would I mean, be that would be fine but it doesn't depend on anything else either it does like it's i i think you think of it as action-packed i thought of it as really dull well i think of it as, as, as I, very funny I, I i find it very amusing and and it's, it's kind of a survival story it's got that it's got that um push that a story sometimes there's there's a really basic action story where it's just a chase 
or it's somebody out for revenge, and you don't really need much more than that. And and this, he's trying to go accomplish his mission. He's trying to get to Scar's world, Shar's world, and you know he's he's it, it's the series of mishaps. Is he going to survive? And well, the book is pretty thick, so he's probably going to survive since he's a point of view character. Uh, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. But but the mishaps are so strange, and they're set against this crazy backdrop. And I just I, like like my reading of it is is like Ian M. Banks was having a great time writing this. The space battles are just kind of operatic and inconceivable and weird. When the orbital, which is the big ring in space, where the the it, it's a constructed habitat basically, but it's just gigantic. Uh, and and basically, like the the surface of it is on the inside, but it spins to create gravity, right? Or there's some kind of artificial gravity as well. And it's mostly a water world. Like like when that unravels because it's demolished by the culture, so the Idirans can't use it as a kind of beachhead for their war. Uh, like like that's just spectacular to me. Uh, there's just a bunch of ideas. It feels like it feels like Banks made a list of ideas and was like, I'm just going to try to connect these. Here's this crazy idea for a plot I have. I'm running through it, and it's like. Like, like, I think I think the least amusing part is in the tunnels at the end, in the tunnels on on the world. But like, like, right up until we arrive there, and until that is like, until we spend so much time in those tunnels, it is this, it is just this very amusing thing to me. This 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 guy trying trying his best to make it to this place and failing over and over again for to find an easy way there. So. Yeah, this is the thing that I don't I don't get is because I think we've we've had enough. We we live in a post Star Wars world. We live in a post Star Trek world where we all have some literacy with with science fiction ideas and space opera ideas which are intertwined obviously. And I mean, when did this book come out? Oh, I think the mid to late 80s. I mean, okay, maybe it gets a pass for being then because maybe some of these ideas were special. But I just can't help but feel like if you're going to... I don't know what I'm trying to say anymore. You, you didn't enjoy this book. <laughs> I didn't. Okay. Well, but I, but I want to articulate why I didn't like this book. And I think that you seem to think that it was there was a lot of fun and there was a lot of funniness. Like, I think there is this weird compromise happening where... The author cares very much about how this this autonomous space shuttle works, but it's also written in a way that, like, I understand is it, it's I can't tell if it's supposed to be humorous or not. It, it may have been humorous to the author, but it's not humorous to me, right? Yeah, and, it, and it's funny to me, and I I think that that's why I think it's 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 possibly a polarizing book because like if you clue into it and and you you're on that wavelength and you think it's funny then it's funny to you like just as as a ridiculous space opera and if you don't but if it's supposed to be funny that i if the if the book as a whole is meant to be taken as a lark it really fails in that like most of the things that happen in this book are not funny the ending is a huge downer that oh it, it, yeah 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 totally totally but but i think i think it's i think it's quite funny i don't know i don't know what else to tell you i don't i don't think that this is i, I honestly having read it in its totality i can't say that this book is meant to be funny i think maybe certain characters are meant to be funny also a lot of the characters just don't make sense like we meet this drone character una harkloss another just terrible name all the names are bad i I can't remember anybody's Uh, name in this in this book except for except for yelson who's uh who's the crew member on the the pirate ship yeah right so we meet this drone who really does not like horza uh because horza treats the drone very badly uh and yet 
the drone like does so much for Horza and you know kind of saves the day a little bit at the end it's, See, it's and, hard and, to and, say. And, and and it's a culture drone and i think the strange thing to me is like Horza is irritated that that uh, ai's run the culture and he's got this I don't think he, kind of it was a point of, of order robot. i don't believe he is a or uh, it it uses it pronouns which also frustrated me a little bit whatever um no it's not a culture drone though well, it, it, there, it is a it is a member of the culture. Like, it's from the orbital, isn't it, or somewhere? It's from the orbital, right? Well, there's a okay. There's more than one AI character in this book. There's one that we meet at the <laughs> middle of the book who is, but the one Una Harkloss is not from the no. Which one is Una Harkloss? Una Harkloss is the one that's in on Shar's world at the end with them. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Horza is constantly like machine, go do this, and Una Harkloss is like, I have a name. Call me by my name. Like, is like a real basically a real person anyway and then at the end of the book we're meant to believe that like uh bora horza was such a great guy everybody loved him and it's like nobody loved him. everyone uh, the only the, literally only one character in this book likes him and we're not even given good reason for why she likes him like the relationship is so forced and so bad there is one line very early on where it's like Borza, I can't even say his name because it's so stupid, but why would you name him Bora Horza? That's bad. That's bad writing. Horza <laughs> and Yeltsin, Borza, Horza and Yeltsin started sleeping together. Like, that's that's how we know they're in a relationship now, is that the book just tells us they are sleeping together now. Well, and it's, 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 it's after though, a kind of horrific thing happens, right? This horrific thing why? kind of brings them together. I don't know. That, that's, that wasn't clear to me that that was the, it just happens. Um, I don't know. This book just makes me angry. <laughs> okay let's stop let's stop let's stop talking okay. about this book um the next book we're talking about today is uh something that was published uh i think a year or two ago is that right this is our first uh, just straight fiction oh it was, it was published last year in january uh it's called when we were vikings and it's by andrew david mcdonald and it's kind yes. of a literary book it's just out of the y out of the ya range to me um am i this i'm giving the picture this problem one, right? i have with the I know. Well, this is another problem I have with the mislabeling of genre, I think. But go on, do the well, book talk. Well, okay. So the, the book is narrated by uh, Zelda, who's 21. Uh, she was born with uh, fetal alcohol syndrome. Syndrome. It affected her brain. Uh, she is a very amusing narrator, if you're into that, into, into her voice. Um, she uses the word fuck dick a lot to describe people, which I like. And she is obsessed with Keppel's Guide to Vikings, which is a nonfiction book that she has. Uh, she keeps writing kind of emails to the author. Um, she memorizes Old Norse, uses Old Norse phrases. Uh, and and she is she is obsessed with becoming legendary. She wants to be kind of a hero in her own story. And, and she defines that by the things she reads in Keppel's Guide to the Vikings. Um, she's kind of looking for a villain to defeat. That's one of the things she can't cross off her list. She does have um, a boyfriend, Marxy, who she kind of knows from the community center where she goes to to hang out a couple days a week and um marxie she sees as as uh like her fair maiden uh which is one of the things she needs to be legendary as a viking uh but to be to be a to be a hero uh she says like you must defeat a villain who threatens your tribe basically and the the person who's threatening her tribe is this guy named toucan who uh her brother gert who she lives with seems to he seems to owe something to this guy, and it's probably drugs. There's probably some violence involved. Uh, Gert is kind of a big guy, looks like a thug, used to play football in high school. He's trying to do better. He's studying economics at college. He's got a scholarship. 
uh, but he's recently broken up with his girlfriend, Annie, whose nickname is AK-47, who's a bus driver, who still hangs out with Zelda a little bit. Um, Annie is totally no-nonsense. I think she's a cool character. Uh, the main thing you know her about her at the beginning is that she had an abortion uh, without asking Gert, so he's still pissed at her, and that kind of broke them up. Um, and Toucan, uh, it becomes clear, is a very, very bad guy, and Gert is wrapped up in him. Uh, he keeps asking uh, Zelda to lie to her. Her counselor, Dr. Laird, who she sees uh, once or twice a week. And, um, of course, for librarians, the place I would start is to talk about the fact that she gets uh, a job at a library. And, yeah, as, uh, soon as, as soon as that happened, I knew, I knew that's, this was why. I, this was I why had no idea. I, I, no, I had no idea. I had no idea that was in there. This was, this, this was just a book in my sack. I had no idea that was in there at you all. You librarians are all the same. <laughs> you think I could sense it in a book that I have never read? Um, there is, uh, like, like one thing I would say to anybody looking to pick up this book, um, which is kind of light and amusing and then, and then serious in places, is that there is uh, a near rape or kind of a rape that happens off, off stage a little bit. Um, it's a little unclear exactly what happens. Uh, it's, it gets pretty harrowing at some moments. Um, uh, and uh, but Zelda and Gert's uncle, who they lived with, uh, I think after her mom died, um, was very very abusive so there's there's some of that too but but overall i thought it was a great book i had to think about the ending for a while um i i didn't feel like it was very satisfying but after i sat with it for a little bit i really really like the ending of this book so and and it's hard for me to like an ending i, I don't generally like endings very much so anyway i i i really enjoyed it it's uh it's a read alike for um the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime which is a which is a book um that has a, a very specific narrative voice that this reminds me of. That's right. That's right. That's her. That's my pitch, Willow. It's it's probably a long pitch, but okay. <laughs> so, my, uh, so, so so you you compare well, this to I consider gotta... Phlebas. Why? Because you think it doesn't it doesn't it's not what it's supposed to be. I mean, kind of. So the author, you know, if you look at this up on Goodreads, uh, th- this book is is billed as literary fiction, which you know, in my experience, usually is books about middle-aged people experiencing ennui and you know going through messy relationships that's not that's obviously not all of them uh but but literary fiction is sort of defined as its own genre in opposition to genre fiction which i you know i like genre fiction i really do um but i've read a lot of literary fiction that i do enjoy so when when the author says this is literary fiction and then it reads like I, I wrote down a couple things. Like, I think the book that this really read like to me was uh, the book Holes, if you're familiar. Yeah, um, yeah, by, by Lewis Sacker. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this book is definitely YA. Everything about this book is YA. There's no, there's nothing literary about this book. I, I just have to put that forward. Well, but, 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 think, YA, but, 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 but that's marketing, right? That, that's not the author. It's marketing. Well, I think the, I think the author is corroborating that, though. I, you know, uh, some, I, I guess the publisher, somebody was, I, I was Googling it this morning just to remember the name of the author, and someone was comparing this to Silver Linings Playbook, which I thought was an absurd comparison. But at the same time, I, like, I hated that movie, and I could kind of understand that maybe if you just had terrible taste, you might like that too. <laughs> uh, th- that's aside the point. So... I have a lot to say about this book, but I have to give the caveat that it is very difficult to talk about this book based on the subject matter and the main character. And so I'm going to try to, you know, I have known many people in my life who are differently abled, uh, who have special needs, 
it's hard to keep up with the terminology these days. I really, I really don't want to offend anybody. Um, but like, I've, I have known ca- people in real life who are not dissimilar to our main character and our narrator of Zelda. So I'm, I'm going to make my criticisms about this book not about that subject matter or this main character. Uh, but one of my big problems with this book is that it's basically, it's YA, and I don't think it's very good YA for that matter. Um, you know, growing up, I would get a lot of, a lot of required reading is, is usually about subject matter that's kind of like this. And, and, you know, I, I didn't hate every piece of required reading I got, but there was a lot of them for whom this book kind of feels like medicine. It, it feels like this is meant to be edutainment, um, which Mm. I know doesn't make sense when there's also gang violence and it's, it's such a mixed bag of stuff. Like I, 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 so I, I look at it as kind of like medicine and that's just a a knee jerk reaction I have, but I'm going to try to distance. Does it feel like, does it feel like an after-school special to you? Like, like, like what is, what do you mean by medicine? Yeah, it really does. It really does feel like an after-school special. Um, and obvious, and I don't like those. I'm not, I can't remember ever one that I thought was good, but we're, I'm going to push that to the side. So I think there is a lot of, this book is kind of like a weird YA, uh, Chuck Palahniuk book. (laughs) It it is, it really is. Um, but I think Chuck Palahniuk is a much better writer. Uh, He's definitely a problematic writer, but that's, that's a whole other thing. Uh, but I think that this book is also trying to feed on a little bit of exploitation. And I don't think, not necessarily in reference to the main character, but I think, you know, when you're, when you're taking a character like this and you're presenting this situation in which there are real criminals who pose real violence and, and our characters are beset by real violence and, you know, ah, oh yeah, they say fuck dick and shitbag and shitheel every other sentence uh you know it feels it is it is of sort of the exploitative genre right i i i it never rose to that for me and it never rose to the the um after school special kind of level that you're talking about either and i'm I'm trying to think of why but i i think i i think it's maybe because i was so amused and and because it goes from serious to kind of harrowing for me that, that it didn't it didn't feel like either of those things necessarily well, it it there was maybe one moment where I was like, oh, this okay, we could actually uh, put our main character in a really, I mean, she's in real danger. I'm not going to say mm-hmm. that she isn't, uh, but letting letting the letting the axe come down, if you will, I was like, okay, sure. well, this is, and you know, I would have been very unhappy to actually have to read that. Um, yeah, no, no, me too, me too, and, and that was the point where I was like, oh, am I going to throw this book across the room right now? Like, I can't. Oof, you know right um so l- like if she had really become i mean she, she is the victim of violence but if she if it had gone like any further than it than it does on the page i yeah i i would have stopped reading the book and so this is the but think about it though so it didn't do that which on one like good but also the fact that it came up at all is isn't good either i'm not saying books can't be about difficult subject matters but the, but the the way that things do unfold in this book make it feel like an after school special. Like, well, well, I I, I think that um, I think that it felt like a a writerly choice not to not to go too far because really horrible stuff could have happened to her at at some point toward the end of the book, especially. 
I guess and, the and, um, the reason I I do think it feels like YA is because the, I think the core one of the core elements of YA more than anything is this idea of like in holes we have children going on a on an adventure right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and although I, I mean our protagonist is a young adult, she's not literally a child. She's twenty one years old, um, but she is childlike in many ways. I think that's fair to say. Sure. You know, and like she thinks she can go defeat a real gangster using a sword. That first of all, she shouldn't have a sword. That <laughs> well, if, it's, if it, you it, were it, the it, characters in this book, you would not give her a sword. <laughs> well, it always feels like it's a letter opener or something too, doesn't? But but it's clearly not. So well, right, I, yeah, we I don't, we, I don't we never learn. Yeah, we never learn the exact rules about this sword. But we she is given a sword at the beginning of the book, and the the plot is very easy to telegraph. Like. It became obvious, like one third into it, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, she's gonna try to attack this mobster, this this, this drug dealer, drug lord, with her I don't, sword. I don't, and well, I mean, there's clearly that's clearly the conflict that's gonna be right. Like her brother's making these bad choices, and it's drawing her into this, whatever this is. Right. Well, but it's not just obvious that that's it. That's the problem. But I think everything about this book is obvious. I I don't think there was any point where I was genuinely surprised by anything that happened. Well, and, and I don't I, I, paint by numbers. But but I don't think I don't think I was reading this book for surprise. Uh, you know, I I wasn't reading this book for surprise necessarily um, in terms of plot. But I was reading the book for surprise in terms of the narrative voice, in terms of kind of rooting for Zelda. Like like, like the question the question for me was at the beginning of the book, uh, did I like Zelda enough to hope that good things happened for her, that she made good choices, and I did. L- like that was enough for me. You know, I was I was right there. I was I was rooting along. I was laughing some of the time. I was horrified sometimes. Um, and and you also kind of are rooting for uh, like Annie, AK forty seven. I was never really rooting for Gert. You know, I mean, no. you, you hope you hope you hope he does well because his life and his life choices affect Zelda so much. And Zelda is really kind of reaching out. She's hit this point in her life where she is trying to figure out how independent she is, or or trying to push those boundaries. Right, like she. She wants to uh, have sex with Marxy. She's very clear about that. And her brother doesn't even want to talk right. about also, it. Also, a lot of the book that was not pleasant for me. Like, I don't know why this is another thing that made it feel like it was Chuck Palahniuk. Was it felt like this was, you know, maybe maybe this book is for people with fetal alcohol syndrome specifically. And they're meant to relate to this and enjoy it. I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> I don't think I so. Mean, <laughs> I, I I mean I assume not, <laughs> but maybe maybe it is. I feel no, like there are so. a lot of you know look. I, I looked up reviews for this book because I'm curious what people have to say, and I think a lot of people want to get behind it because they see this as positive representation. And I don't I don't know if it is or it isn't. That's really not my place to say. But I also don't feel as if like dwelling on these chapters in which we just have like a frustrating sexual encounter between these characters like i don't i don't i don't feel good having read it and i don't feel i don't feel better as a person <laughs> it's just it's just that's great see i it, i read it i read it, it, it wasn't i read pleasant. it I, I read it and i was immediately no. like I'm, I'm giving this to my wife to read why? Like I, I will warn her about the kind of sexual assault stuff, the the stuff related to that, and and and. But I will, because I, I think it will delight her. I, I think she will get that, behind. I, I think she will get behind um, Zelda, and I I think she will identify with AK forty seven. Okay, I mean maybe I I don't know. I get I guess to me I need more than that. I I do I need more like 
it's one thing to identify with a character. Uh, to me, that's that's not enough. Like, I, and I don't think I identify with any of these characters. But I also don't. I, I don't need that either. I I, I need something. This <laughs> you got to give at some point. This book doesn't give. Well, I, I find it interesting. Like, like, why did you feel like you um, didn't you, you weren't rooting for Zelda as a character? Like, like, why did you feel like that wasn't that didn't draw you in? And, and I have a hard time defining at what point I was suddenly like, yes, I'm 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 in this book. I'm along for the ride right now. Like, like, can you tell me, like, was it just the after school specialness of it? Did you feel like you were being manipulated? Is that why you weren't there? That's a big part of it, honestly. I I do okay. feel like there's I do feel like there's an, a manipulative level to this writing mm-hmm. because I don't because like I said I don't think it's it's not subtle at any point and our protagonist is not subtle. No, not uh, at all. She, she says everything that's on her mind and her thoughts are frankly not complicated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, which isn't an insult. Uh, you know, there it's fine, but. I, you know see I, I think I think McDonald uh, nailed the narrative voice I, I, I found it really um, really fun to read in terms of in terms of how uh, simply everything was expressed but kind of kind of how it all came together to be something more I, I just really like that like and I, I see I see things that are made for the library market that are total after school special stuff and I mean I, I find that as wretched as, as I think you do and um, this just didn't come anywhere near that for me. Like, like, like this, this, this really well, read like, I like, like, you... like. I, I, I was behind the, I was, I was behind the eyes of this fantastic person who I, who I just want good things for. So, I want to, I want to say this in the nicest way possible. But I think for you, you really enjoy text, and I, I like this. Does this book have subtext? I don't think it does. Mm, I mean, a, a, what a is very the subtext bit. of this book? No, a, a, a very I, little I, bit. Everything is very surface level. Zelda has an adventure. I mean, you could argue there's maybe a, a little bit of dramatic irony, but not even because we all everything that happens in this book, it's it's easy it's easy to see what's going to happen. There are re- sure, no sure. real surprises, and no, it, it, I, I, a, I, I disagree with that a little bit. But yeah, I, I understand I guess what, what you I'm mean trying by to say that. is what I'm trying to say is that I feel like. In all of the books we have read, with maybe the exception of Earthsea, there's been an element of uh, a, a character walks up, we're meeting a character for this first time, and it's like, hello, my name is Billy. I am very dumb. And <laughs> and, 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 and and then you give these book talks, and you're like, uh, so one of the main characters of the book is named Billy. He's very dumb. <laughs> like, But we never, you, you, Gene, never sort of investigate or interrogate why the author just goes ahead and says that he's dumb like we never learn anything about these characters beyond what the what the author is just like screaming at us that's interesting yeah yeah it it probably is enough for me in a way to take that in and then run with it in my mind right right yeah yeah and i I do like books that uh that do that and i think i think comics are way more guilty of that than other kinds of books you know yeah, I I don't disagree with that necessarily, but um, in reference to this book, you know, every like every single character. If we look at Gert, Gert, it, you know, he deals drugs. He's not going to school. He's a fuck up. It's I think it's pretty easy to say. Um, I've I've known Gerts in my life. I think we all have. Uh, I think I, I I think some some people might root for Gert because they see that he's trying to do better, right? But I don't know. Um, 
all basically every character in this book I don't want to say they're a cardboard cutout. I don't think that's like they they're all real people who exist to some extent. Every every single one of these is a character that I have met in real life. That being said, that does not a good book make. <laughs> if, right? You can cuz you can write a book about all the people that you meet at the 7-Eleven. No, that doesn't mean any of them are actually interesting characters with thoughtful inner lives. Hmm. And I think that is kind of the core is that I don't think I don't think any of these characters, um, it's not that they are, I can, I can relate to wanting to get out of a bad fiscal situation and working a job that you don't like doing or, you know, I mean, there's kind of a Breaking Bad story here where it's like, he should be in school, but he's dealing drugs instead. And that's fine, but it's not done in such a way that we ever really have to carry any significant emotional weight, I think. In part because, like... With the, with the exception of, well, is is Zelda actually going to be assaulted in this scene? Uh, that's the only time that it ever really comes to that point of like, okay, now now stakes are real, and then and then she wins the day in what is really a very comically silly. I I think that final scene is pretty dumb. I, I think mm. th- that's why it, it reminds me of Holes or like uh, Freak the Mighty. Are you familiar with that book? No, I don't know that book. The, so it's a book about um, so uh, uh, two characters who are, bo- one of them is born uh, just like super tall. And I, I can't remember exactly. He has some sort of birth defect condition. And then there's another kid who is incredibly small, but very smart. And it's a, you know, it's a children's book that I, mm-hmm. once again, I was, I was made to read as a child. And it was absolute 100% medicine. But I think a lot of people really love that book. <laughs> but the ending of but the ending of the book is just this sort of cartoon moment where and you can get away with that when it's a children's book to some extent but the, it's this weird cartoon ending where our main character's evil criminal father has come to to attack him in the night for some reason that I don't remember because this was 30 years ago uh less than that but uh the super smart character also in the night has filled a squirt gun with hydrochloric acid and manages to get rid of them and like it, it feels like something out of it feels like something out of goosebumps it and feels feel like something like that, that would cause a lot of lawsuits now i mean i don't know well that's true this you know i i i feel like zelda defeating this this gangster with her viking sword it feels yeah it feels a little bit like something rl stein would have written when he didn't have a lot of time that this was oh, meant for early readers it just has a lot of swearing and sexual content in, that would make it inappropriate as such yeah but i mean it's still... I, 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 to go back to an earlier point i i feel like i feel like uh, the reason this isn't ya is that uh-huh. is that like like this book wouldn't be particularly interested interesting to teenagers it's more interesting to adults who can experience the point of view character and and kind of the the piece of writing from the, from that character's point of view, you know, as as something of high quality. I know. Whereas whereas I I think I think teen I think teens would have a problem, or or not teens, but the teen market would have a problem with this book in that you know Zelda is twenty one but doesn't always act like right. she's twenty one, right? So so it, it, it's a kind of a mixed bag, and you see some books from kids' point of view that aren't marketed toward kids too right I, I i mean i think this is one of those books that will find its way into the hands of some teens right you know who will enjoy it but it's not necessarily something you want to put directly into their hands or to hide in that section from the adults who would otherwise enjoy it which is why it feels like well, it's it's a little bit of a mismatch but literary fiction is maybe the best place to put it but i don't know like like well, I, is... I i don't for, for, for me it doesn't compare to a kid's book 
because it's not it's not quite that simple. You know, it's not quite that simple and straightforward. And, and I it's, disagree. It's, it's very simple and straightforward. It is maybe <laughs> the most... No, it really is. It's a very straightforward book. And furthermore, so the reason this reads to me like YA, it, all of the bad YA, I think, has something in common, which is that it really underestimates the intelligence of the reader. And I think this book, it's it maybe it's not intentional. I, I mean, I would argue it's never intentional to underestimate. No, when you are re- writing Fractual Children, you are purposely underestimating intelligence. Well, I don't think so. Not not in good books, but yeah. Well, anyway, what I'm trying to say is that by virtue of making the narrator uh, have this sort of childlike intelligence, you know, it's, it's like having a Quentin Tarantino movie described to you by someone who has a you know, a 12-year-old's vocabulary and 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 doesn't have a lot of higher uh, mental functions, which is, I'm not saying is a bad thing, but I'm saying that's not a very good way of experiencing a Quentin Tarantino movie, right? Hmm. That's kind of what we're getting. And you could argue, oh, well, it's like, a, it, it, this is also kind of why it reminded me of Chuck Palahniuk is like, well, in that way, it's kind of like an epistolary novel. We have an unreliable narrator, but, but she's not unreliable. She's hyper-literal and... She's not leaving anything, especially because we, the audience, can read between the like. She doesn't know that her brother is dealing drugs, but we know almost immediately that he's dealing drugs. Or something, and right? Everyone yeah. and everyone else in the novel knows he's dealing drugs. Like we know that the bad guys are are criminals, even if Zelda doesn't. It's very obvious that they're criminals. Well, it, it's hard. Way, it, it, it's hard to imagine it as a movie because yeah, you would just be cringing the whole time, right? But I think it works. I think it works as a book because you. You can see it from her point of view? Well, yeah, you can. I don't think that makes it good. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think it's all about, I think it's all about uh, the point of view, uh, the language, and, and rooting for her. I think if you, have, if, you, if you read like the chapter, the opening chapter, the opening chapter or two, and, and uh, if you, if you kind of giggle to yourself a little bit and enjoy it, I think you're in. Right. I think this is, I'm sure this is entertaining to a lot of people. It has a lot of high reviews. Uh, if you like the voice of this narrator, then yeah, the whole book is going to be great for you. Uh, it is repetitive mm-hmm. because she really only says the same 10 things over and over again. She's going to compare something to a Viking thing. She's going to say shit heal. And she's going to be like, that is not the way things work <laughs> in this world. It should work differently. I'm, I'm ape- I am I'm also listen to this one as an audiobook, And so I'm, I'm aping the, uh, the, the narrator of the audiobook. I'm not trying to mock the character in that regard. How how is the, how is the audio? Do, do you think the audio uh, helped or hurt this the experience of this this novel for you? God, that's really hard. I, on some level, I almost feel like I feel like the the narrator, the the whoever the the reader was, probably did the best she could do with the source material, because I, she wasn't trying to be insulting with the main character. Uh, there, one could make the argument that she was maybe to some extent with the character of Marxy. Um, hmm. But at the same time, but at the same time, if you've met k- people like this in the real world, they do kind of speak that way. And so it's, you know, it is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I, di- I didn't try to find this one in print I, I, because it was so easy to get from my local library, thanks to the app Libby, which is not sponsoring <laughs> us, but it really ought to. <laughs> well, OK, well, I, I mean, I mean, um, I, I think we sh- I think we should call it good on that one. On when we were Vikings. Yeah, okay. Good enough? Okay. So uh, I have to tell you, uh, we've gotten our first emails 
from people uh, suggesting books for yes. us. So we have to we have to talk about that. You and I have to talk about that after we finish recording today. That'll be it'll be kind of interesting to to kick it around and see if we can pick a next book from the the right. emails we got. Well, and I I wanted to say that uh, having read all of these books now, I I am in a kind of downtrodden place with these books. I feel as if our <laughs> You know, to to me, I, I was really hoping to find more books that I would enjoy. And I feel like I am so beat up by these books you keep giving me. So I really hope that our readers, uh, that our listeners have have got some, some recommendations that I might actually enjoy. Because right now, oh, I, I can't, I couldn't take another favorite book of Gene Ambaum over here. And I think for When We Were Vikings, you we picked it by, I, I sent you a picture of, uh, what, six or seven things that were on my shelf. And I said, which one of these do you want yes. to read? And you, you were like, that one. <laughs> well, I because three of them were just really trashy looking fantasy novels. I was like, well, we've, do- we've talked about enough fantasy so far. That's right, one right. thing. Uh, they also didn't look like books that our listeners would probably be able to get very easily. You know, well, like, I, 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 I think our, our listeners are resourceful people. I, I, I think, uh, yeah. And, and, and okay. these podcasts me, are evergreen. Free- so... Let me rephrase. They weren't books that I was going to be able to get very easily. Fair enough. Yeah. So, okay. Well, well, we'll, we'll pick another book, like the next book, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes here uh, when we're off when we're off podcast. Uh, we'll try to pick something that'll that'll make you happy. How's that? Okay. Great. Okay. Okay. And um, but but so I'm excited that we got the first uh, the first recommendations from folks who've listened to the first episode. Uh, if you out there listening to this have a recommendation for something you think Willow might like. Apparently I'm the easy one. If you have a recommendation for something Willow might like, like, please, please, God, please help us. <laughs> Send us an email, bookstabberpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, just just tell us the title. Give us a brief idea of why you think Willow might like it. Uh, we, we'll get back to you. We'll seriously consider anything you tell us, tell us is worth reading. Uh, we would really appreciate it. Uh, anything else on your end? Uh, this has been uh, Gene Ambaum. Well, since our last recording, I was on the Never Games podcast, uh, which everyone should go listen to if you have not already. It's a great and podcast. You are, and, you, and you are Willow Payne. I am Willow Payne, uh, co-writer and artist of librarycomic.com. And and, and uh, what, what was the episode uh, 2.9? Is that the episode of the Never Games you were on? Yes, it is. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Bye. Later, Willow. Bye.